0: Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Monica Orski, Victoria Normark, and Sandra Hedman to discuss leadership and self-governing themes. Before we get into the topic in a bit more detail, though, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. So, Monica, do you want to kick us
1: off? Sure. Thank you, Ashley. I'm Monica Orski. I'm a freelancing tech consultant uh, in IT since quite a long time now, almost 30 years in the business. I mostly do solution architectures nowadays and some interim leadership, some usually quite close to actually working with the tech people who are hands-on. During my long tech career, I've been in development and in operations and sometimes also in DevOps, which is very good for this one. Uh, besides, when, when not working, I spend quite a lot of time volunteering for Mensa, but I also love to read books to read, and I'm also a writer, published writer of both fiction and nonfiction. and I sometimes give talks on leadership. That's me.
0: Amazing, lovely, thank you. Um, and Victoria, introduce yourself next.
2: Yes. Hi, everyone. I'm Victoria. Uh, I am CTO at Trade Abler in Stockholm, and I'm quite new on the job. Actually, I started this January, so not even a
3: year yet.
2: Um, I started out as a physicist, but quite quickly I came into programming. So my first eight years I spent as a programmer. This was back in 1999, 2000. And when I was developing code, I started to realize how important it is, how we actually write code. So I, I was super interested in agile, lean very early on, actually. And with that, uh, I stumble upon leadership questions and things like that. So I went from being a Java programmer to Scrum Master and then to different uh, manager roles. And I spent a few years as um, an enterprise agile coach as well, helping uh, more traditional companies to work in more modern ways. Uh, but after a few years of that, I went back to be employed again into different manager roles and ended up as a CTO. So that's basically me.
0: Thanks. Amazing. And last but not least, Sandra.
3: Hi. First of all, thank you for having me in this podcast. I'm Sandra Hedman and I'm working at Teatro Every. I'm working in the banking field so in our unit we work as a product vendor towards the banks in the nordics where i'm a part of a devops team Uh, the team contains of uh, business analysts scrum masters and product owners and myself that are working as a a devops manager Um, since we're working towards the bank we have a very close uh, relationship together with the banks and my role is also kind of a customer responsible. So I'm, if I'm trying to describe it in the best way, I'm working as a messenger between the customer and back into the organization. And we started quite recently with working with DevOps. It was about one and a half years ago we started it. So we are definitely, definitely on a learning path at the moment. And uh, myself, I've been working at Seattle every for about two and a half years. I used to work at the stock exchange in the heart of market operations for trading services in Europe. And outside work, I'm trying to balance the work-life balance with a one-year-old son at home. If the weather allows, I try to take the family out for any outdoor activity. I'm trying to learn playing golf whenever I have time for that. And my ambition is to start with social compete by next golf season 2024 so we'll see how it goes with that project nice we'll so, uh, keep an
0: eye out for uh, the results on that one
1: <laughs> hi everyone this is chris bennett here the knowledge managing director here at evolution Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast.
0: Amazing. So now that we all know you a bit better, we'll get stuck into the questions that you've all prepared. So as usual, make our way around the group where you can ask your own questions and share your thoughts about our topic of leadership and self-governing teams. So the first question that you all wanted to address before we got into your individual questions was what do you mean by DevOps? So what are all your definitions of DevOps and what does it mean to you and your
2: company? Yeah. I could maybe start uh, because I have. I think this notion of DevOps has changed over the years a lot. When I first heard about it, it's a long time ago. uh, And then the cloud didn't even exist and stuff like that. So it was all about actually deploying software on data centers or, you know, uh, and in the beginning, it was more about like having. Uh, developers sitting next to operations, uh, the, the the guys in operation and working very closely. But then people started talking about, oh, it's a culture, it's collaboration, or then it started to get into its technology. And we started talking about continuous delivery and how to work with pipelines. So it can be you know everything from technology to a culture to, to, yeah, and this has actually shifted over the years. So I'm curious about, Your experience, Sandra and Monica. What do you say? What what is DevOps for you? Because to me, it's almost everything of the above. (laughs) So, what is it to you?
1: I can kind of agree that yes, it can mean many different things. And as as a freelancing consultant, I kind of try to ask the first thing, what do you actually mean in this company when you use words like DevOps or words like agile and so on, other nice words out there. But well, i say that the common the common thing is to make
3: everyone
1: in tech aware that there is no there is not only development, there is also the operation, the production part. Or the other way around, make everyone working in the production part of tech, aware that, well, it's not only about production, it's also about continuous development and improvements, and sometimes entirely new versions.
3: Yeah, I would say uh, definitely from coming from a different work of view, different uh, from, uh, sorry, I can definitely say from working differently before, um, when we worked with the development team and a separate support team operations, uh, that now when working with DevOps, that is definitely a way of working as a facilitator that keeps the development side and operations side talking with each other. So it's really important to definitely work in cross teams and do the 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 common way of um, the common way of um, collaboration at all the time and facilitate that going forward. And then it's not only to support the entire delivery uh, of the product. It's definitely also about about having the control of uh, what is coming in as uh, perhaps bugs from our customers and uh, ensure that it is aligned together with the development team and we have the same view on how we should approach our work. And definitely, if there's anything we identify with certain bugs or anything that needs further development, that we are aligned and can provide that as a really solid software product to back to our customers. yeah and I think that the whole
2: DevOps concept actually evolved a lot with with cloud technologies and when Google introduced the Sre kind of role where you're more more everyone's more or less a software engineer suddenly, and you have to build away um what like issues you see and yeah things that are happening. So it has really changed over the year, I suppose, with new technology. So yeah.
1: I can also see it as a risk sometimes that people say, oh, yes, we have a pipeline, so we're doing DevOps.
3: Exactly. Not
1: understanding
2: all the other parts. Exactly. And that actually leads up to our next uh, question that I would like to ask, uh, which is how it's all connected. I mean, we do have, as you mentioned, the pipelines, the technology to be able to release software several times a day and automate automatically test it and so on. We have those beautiful pipelines. But, I mean, how can we use them if we don't have the right development processes in place where we actually do smaller experiments, getting feedback fast and so on, which is Process, and that process won't work if we don't have like a culture where we dare to experiment and we are allowed to experiment and we don't have to ask for permission, um, where we can have these quick feedback loops. And that is definitely connected to leadership. Um, do we have this psychological safety that we want to have for our team, so they so they have this like daring to experiment and so on? So it's all connected in, in one go. Uh, I would like to hear a little bit about the rest of you. Would you? Think what's most important to make this DevOps work. Um, I mean, sure, you can build a beautiful technical pipeline, but if you never push, if you don't release several times a day, what's the purpose (laughs) of having it? So, do you have any like anything to share?
3: Yeah, it's a good question, and definitely speaking in terms of uh, pipelines, uh, what defines really good pipelines in a way as well? So. Uh, what needs to be included in order to have successful pipelines. If we take that as an example, would it be to instance, have our internal test environments and see how we can try to reduce manual errors and uh, have the quick collaboration within the whole organization in order to have a successful process in the deliveries that we have. And uh, I think that is an important role for the DevOps to really be uh, aligned with all the fields and units that you work together. So everything is in uh, working as expected in a certain way. So it follows the streamline that we are aiming for to succeed at. And uh, when it comes to leadership point of view, I would definitely say it's really a key to have the communication in place and make sure that the team feels that they have the ownership and confidence by themselves to lead their project, or if there's any development going on that they feel that they are also a part of the whole streamline. Let's say that they're taking something in for development, that they are also involved in the testing together with the test leader and so on, and also with the code review, and can follow throughout the whole experience of that and make sure to also get that feedback needed or further on, to see how it has been uh, involved at the, for the customer and get the feedback back to make sure to really work with repetitive tasks and make sure it can be improved further going on. Yeah, yeah,
1: I I agree, and I'd say that the test pipeline is actually key here because that's not. Uh, of course, with some systems, you can actually do real live releases several times per day, but there are not that many systems out there where you want to do that. You certainly don't want that with a system that could potentially kill someone, but you also don't want to do that with a system that could potentially cost the company lots and lots of money. But you do want a continuous integration for testing, and you do want, I'd say, the make people feel that it's perfectly normal to crash the test system. It's not it's not the oh sorry I screwed up but we can fix it. It's no, it's perfectly normal. That just yeah. happens. Yeah,
2: yeah. But, I but I think we need to we need to separate as well um releases from actually deploying code. Um, so I think almost every company can probably deploy code several times a day but it but you don't release it or you don't turn it on until you have actually a release you're working with feature toggling and stuff like that. So so maybe we need to separate uh, what we mean by releasing code, because I mean, there are deployments and releases and maybe even commercial uh, releases when you actually like... uh, communicate that oh we have something new to to the public um yeah but i think also when talking about these pipelines and the importance of having all our teams involved in both testing and deploying and running and fixing and everything that is like downstream if we think about it like that i think that's super important but it's also super important to actually have the whole team involved when starting to formulate the problem to solve so that they are involved really, really early on so that they feel that they can take full responsibility for this thing that they're going to build together so that they can really own it, understand it, and kind of, I like to think about it as if the teams are swarming around a problem, a common objective, something they want to solve. So they need to be like this tight collaboration already at formulating the need and towards a whole journey until it's, Out and you need you start fixing bugs on it basically. So and that also requires a certain type of culture and leadership actually uh, to have those kind of
1: teams. Um, I'd I'd say you are right that we definitely need the full team involved. But I think we let's not forget that it's still important that people actually have different roles and different capabilities, just like different parts of the system have different capabilities. So we have. Different people have different capabilities and different knowledge. So while it's important to involve everyone, I think it's actually also very important to make sure that, well, the developers know that they are not subject experts of whatever you're doing. If you're working with in banking, your developers are not banking experts, but you should have banking experts in your team to help. And on the other hand, the uh, well, and the banking expert will probably learn a bit about how you work development, but they should not start doing system architectures for you, because then you will end up with a horrible system. And we still need, we need to keep that in mind too. It's very easy to talk about everyone, everyone being involved and everyone being irresponsible, but when everyone is responsible, no one is responsible in the end. So we still need the leadership there.
2: I think though that when people feel that they understand, I mean, there is a difference between being told something and to actually understand something. If you think about it, like um, if you if you have um, a leadership team showing you a presentation of this year's objectives, you can read them and you're like, oh, okay, sure whatever. (laughs) But if you have been part of actually creating those objectives, then you deeply understand them. And I think it's the same thing with product development that, as you say, Monica, I agree with you that you need to have those subject matter um, experts in the team that can explain stuff to you. But I think it's important to be involved and like participate early on so you actually understand the problems that you're trying to solve because then you can suddenly start to contribute Uh, you can have ideas and you can elaborate on it rather than being giving like stories to implement so yeah I think it's important to create that atmosphere of like yay we have this amazing problem we're going to solve it and we know how to measure that we are actually successful and you know we're going to deliver this so yeah
3: Uh, um, uh, good points that you bring up definitely i think it's uh, really important to involve in early stage and i understand monica that there are some limitations there but uh, uh, how can we try to achieve further more by learning and uh, improve ourselves i think that's definitely by having uh, knowledge sharing and maybe share your knowledge in cross teams as well and provide information of functionalities that could maybe lead to different opportunities in development features in the, in the future. So I think definitely it's a key point to really try to do knowledge sharing and work a little bit with collaboration across teams, regardless of what role you having in the organization.
1: Absolutely. I mean, there's no, there's absolutely no point in having a subject matter expert on the team if we don't share with them and get them to share their expertise. Mm.
2: I mean, wasn't that how the role of the product owner was supposed to be from the beginning, that it was a bridge uh, between, you know, the customer and the customer need and, and everything and the team one foot uh, in, like, Uh, maybe talking to the account managers and people that have contact with real customers, one foot there and the other foot in the team, translating all of that to developers so that they understand what to build rather than hand over with like written requirements. I think that was the whole intention from the start. And I think the DevOps role is similar to that. One foot in operations, one foot in development and bringing them together, a person bringing them together rather than written like requirements and instructions. Uh, And I think that's the whole idea here to have people bridging the gaps, even though we have different roles. So yeah, completely agree with you there.
3: Mm-hmm. Perhaps this leads to my other question, if uh, if we're following the same track here, and that mm-hmm. is how to achieve more value by setting DevOps procedures into the daily work. So we pointed out some key factors here, but how can we see how we can work with, DevOps daily, and I think from my point of view and my experience so far has really been to be able to bring the team together and let them provide, for instance, in the daily stand-up, what they have on their table and uh, align what they're working on towards me as well. So I'm aware of how their capacity looks like and what is planning for next scope of development as well, and uh, to... I think it's really important to work with several roles in in order to plan the the development and also to be able to see what is the most urgent that needs to be handled throughout the day as well so what are your point of view I think it's a very good
1: point that the daily, I've seen some teams say that, well, the dailies take too much time. And that usually means that they are not getting the kind of feedback that they need because a good daily is very, very important. And I think you're also making another important point here about uh, what is priority right now. But there's also, and this is something for management, that it's very important that also remember that sometimes we actually need time to work on the things that are not that are not prior one right now because otherwise they will be and there will be much more difficult to work on and I'm I'm definitely not advocating that we should all, always let people do uh, do a full rewrite of their code whenever they say oh this starts looking a bit ugly but I I think we absolutely need to plan for those things. We need to plan for a good refactoring and start that planning early enough, not when things are falling apart and people are working full-time on bug fixes just because they really need the refactoring.
3: I don't know
2: if you have seen this... um... I don't know if it's coming more and more or not, but um, the importance of developers understanding how the code runs, especially in the cloud, uh, because it drives such a high cost. So we really need the developers to learn and understand like how to optimize the software to not drive high cost. Have you seen that too in companies you've been at?
1: Uh, I've seen a bit of it, and I mm. think it's very important. There's some, something I I have to admit I myself only quite recently got aware of is that it's not only a matter of cost, it's also a matter of environment, of how mm. how much electricity we will need to run our True. system. And it's, very, and it's actually very interesting that uh, at least uh, most of the developers I have worked with are much... Get much more eager to optimize when we start talking about uh, sustainability issues, rather than just not driving costs. So that may, maybe that could be a tip-off to make make people involved by talking about mm. the big picture, not the, not only the cost for the company.
2: Mm. Yeah, maybe the environment h- hits them harder than than uh, the company budget. <laughs> um really affects you no because I, i'm i was thinking about your morning meetings Sandra, or morning uh, stand-up meetings i should say that doesn't have to be in the morning um that that is important to also have a learning process ongoing on like um uh, what drives uh performance a- in in the ops environments and so on so yeah mm-hmm.
3: yeah definitely i think um, it's always a uh, constant learning and uh, continuous improvement as well there. Um, and uh, from there on, I think it could be potentially good to maybe have more developers involved, maybe to get their point of view as well and see where they're standing on with mm-hmm. the, their workload as well. And so we can be on the same track of uh, sense of urgency, but also for the planning uh, so to make sure that we are on the same alignment there as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, Well, that was a lovely natural conversation. I didn't even have to get involved with asking you guys about your questions, which is great. (laughs) Um, So Sandra, you did have a second question as well, um, where you're asking about how do we achieve better automation and product delivery by working with DevOps? So kick us off with
3: that question. Yes. So, here is, um, the point with this question is to see how how you work with automation and try to see how you can ensure a successful product delivery uh, just by working with DevOps and for us, like I said before, we work now as a learning path and really try to now work on improvements and how we can develop working with DevOps further on. And, uh, we have now started to initiate how we can work further with test environments and see how we can identify manual errors or bugs beforehand and uh, to be highlighted that they get addressed in the early stage as well and it can be tested further on and see if it could be any potential changes that are needed in place for that. And other automations as well could be how we communicate and collaborate further within cross teams as well by that saying that if there is anything that needs to be in plan that it is addressed to the director team that needs to have that inform that to have that information and also make sure that uh, everything that needs to have plan is uh, addressed accordingly as well. so um, what do you say? Have you experienced anything of this in your daily work, and what are some good points that need to be used for automation and for especially for product delivery? Well, if
2: I'm if I'm talking about TradeData, where I am right now, I'm still, as I said, I'm still quite new to the company, but uh, we moved. Uh, into cloud a few years ago and still have some work to do to get everything in place because it works differently if you're in a physical data center uh, towards the cloud. So we are actually finishing off our work with deployment pipelines right now as we speak. Uh, So we are working hard to get everything automated. Um, Yeah. Uh, but on the DevOps topic, we are quite small still. Uh, we are quite small in our like software development department, at least, uh, which means that everyone has to be involved in everything. We we can't afford to have like specialists that only do one thing. We have to be all over the place, all of us, uh, which means that DevOps and um, working tied together with development and operations is. Like the only way we can do it, so it's very natural to us. Um, but we are, as I said, in a process of uh, automating everything because we really want uh, to just push a button and get get the code out. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it's released publicly every time we push the button. Um, we want to work with feature toggling and, you know, turning everything on when all the teams are ready with one big feature, then we can turn it on. So we want to push code continuously out into production. So yeah, automation, definitely.
1: I'd also say yes, automation. A good a nice thing about automation is that yes, my engineering brain loves it, and all the engineers I ever worked with love automation, because that takes all takes the tedious, boring stuff that you do over and over again off your off your table and off off your computer to something else. Which I think is also part of the core of The technical part of DevOps, that yes, we want to automate because we want this to be efficient and we want people to use their brains for where their brains are actually needed, not to try and follow an exact instruction for something they have done 10 times over and will now forget because they are thinking about coffee instead or something.
2: Mm -hmm. Did that answer
3: any of your questions, Sandra? Yeah, absolutely. And Also, I think it's really important to clef- clearly have defined goals as well and the right expectations mm. uh, so this can be so automated as possible and uh, defining the team goals as well. So everything has uh, that streamline uh, with the expected time frame for the automated work uh, to mm. be done. Uh, So yeah, definitely, I would say that answered the question. Good. We actually try
2: to automate the release notes as well. (laughs) So now they're actually, I mean, not not public release notes, but but internal release notes are also automated. So that's one way to go. You can do that through GRI if you use it. So that's quite nice.
1: Mm -hmm. That sounds really nice. That also sounds like something that your developers should really love to do. (laughs)
3: Mm. Yeah, especially from uh, reducing a lot of admin tasks as well and uh, Mm. focus on uh, more development work and can Mm. leave that type of work behind. So definitely. Amazing. Nice. Well,
0: Monica, we'll move on to your question next then. And you asked, how do we set the right boundaries to enable teams to be self-governing? Uh, so give us some context behind your question and your thoughts and opinions.
1: Yes. Uh, well, do, we do want self-governing teams. We do want, we do want efficient teams, I'd say, first thing. And in order to get this, we definitely don't want people to just do exactly what they are told and then wait for being told the next thing, which is within Swedish work culture. This is fairly easy to achieve. We have very much of a consensus culture, but we also have very much of a culture that, okay, so this is your task. You solve it. You ask me for details only when you need to ask and go on with it. This should of course work for teams as a whole and we want that, but we also, Know that for the teams to be efficient, they need some boundaries to what they are doing. Well, if you're if you're supposed to <coughs> to develop to developers, sorry. Sorry about that. All right, if you're supposed to develop a system for something in finance. You should not start designing a rocket to go to the moon. But also, within this, we need boundaries that are a bit more tight than that, but still lose enough for people to work within them. And I say, to me at least, in my work, it's always a sign, a warning sign, when people start saying they don't get enough information. Because in my experience, Mm. well, sometimes, of course, they are missing information. But in my experience, in 90% of the cases, that means they don't get enough leadership. Which, Mm. of course, is perfectly logical. This is not about, uh, this is a strange thing psychology does to us as humans. This is perfectly logical, because if you don't know what you and your team are supposed to do, then you need to ask about everything that the company will do to find out what your team is supposed to do, and only then can you actually start working. So how do we find the right boundaries to put in enough information and still giving people freedom?
2: I think we need to also understand the difference between information and creating understanding. Because if we are looking to give uh, information, it's very easy. It's it's a pitfall, actually, as a manager, that you start to get into more and more details. You give them everything, (laughs) like all information you actually can give, you give them, and that is... a a pitfall because then they drown in information instead of creating understanding so that they understand their context, who are they dependent on, which are their stakeholders, which is the problem that they're going to solve, as I mentioned before. Um, To create understanding is a different thing than to give information. And a good way of creating understanding, in my experience, is to actually make people involved. And that's not the same as... Like uh, consensus, and everyone needs to be involved in everything. It's not about that at all, it's about the right people being involved in the right topics. Um, So as as I mentioned before, it's a very big difference between just presenting like a vision or objectives or whatever it is, showing a PowerPoint to people. It's a huge difference to that that doesn't really create understanding. Um, Instead of maybe running a workshop or getting people involved early on, asking for their input very early in the project before the the objectives are decided, you actually start getting input. So when you present the objectives, they have been part of it from the beginning and they actually understand those so I think that is like maybe a skill set I don't know (laughs) with managers to be able to create understanding instead of giving all the details and too much information um, which is not relevant so I think that is one thing maybe.
3: I think one important tool as well is that we need to be able to provide the resources and the support that is needed for that and ensure that they have the necessary resources uh, and uh, the support to accomplish their goals. And that could be by training or if there would be mentoring as well to go through that type of uh, stages. And uh, in terms of for DevOps self-governing, I think that's definitely a procedure that needs to be implemented as a way of working uh, just to see how cross teams can work in the most efficient way by setting up certain sessions perhaps uh, so they can do the collaboration and brainstorming as well and have that empowerment uh, to drive that knowledge further and how to try to do the collaboration with, as a strong team together and do their work uh, with the daily tasks better. So I think that one that is one of the uh, really important things for uh, self governance, and also to set the it's expected setup as well as, as you mentioned, Monica, with the boundaries and also for the constraints. But I think that's uh, very good to address that as well for the whole organization. So everyone is aligned with. Uh, the expected setup as well and of course it's really important to try to challenge as well if you see if there's possibilities for any improvements but I think it's really good to have a kind of a a frame as well and try to see how to work with certain objectives but also uh, for further improvements for that as well. Mm. Yeah, I think, I mean, a team can't be
2: self-governed or make make your own decisions without understanding how they fit into the whole i mean that's the whole thing um because if you don't understand how your decision affect other teams or other people or your stakeholders and stuff then you can't make decisions so i think that is the and that's leadership i suppose monica maybe that's what you mean but um to make the team understand how they fit into the whole um which are dependent on them and so on, and which to communicate to. Um, So, yeah, that's a form of boundary, I suppose, to understand.
1: Those are very good answers. I'd say, yeah, I I like how Sandra says constraints rather than boundaries. Maybe that's Mm -hmm. a better better word to use. And also there's, of course, understanding. Understanding and knowing how to put things in and maybe... Maybe that's something to aim for in management, to have people not say they lack information, but that they don't understand it yet. Mm. That would definitely be a step forward. And also, of course, create the safety for people to say, I don't understand it. We need need to talk about it.
2: Mm. I think as a manager, I think having this culture of psychological safety where people dare to speak up, where people dare to say, hey, I don't understand this. I feel stupid. I don't understand it. That they actually dare uh, to do that is so important because if you don't have that kind of culture around you, you will never hear when something is going completely wrong. Uh, And you want people to tell you this is going completely in the wrong direction right now. You want to hear that as a manager, So to foster that kind of culture and always like, I don't know how to put it. It's it's hard to say that you always should be happy about bad news because maybe you're not happy about bad news, but you should be happy that you get the bad news. Um, so fostering that culture, I think it's very core to a lot of things, actually. Both for, as I mentioned before, for innovation and experimentation, it's, it's um, really core to have this psychological safety, but also to... Avoid catastrophes <laughs> happening. It's really important to have that culture where people dare to, to speak up um, and speak their mind. So, yeah,
1: that's, that's a very to me. good. That's a very good point. And yes, definitely too. To remember, when in management, to remember as a leader at any any level, that yes, I should maybe not act happy about bad news, but always be happy about people telling me the bad news. That's yes. Something. Especially if they tell me before it's all burning around us.
2: Yeah, already when they suspect something could go wrong, (laughs) you want to hear it, yes. Mm.
0: Lovely. Well, we've gotten to the end of your questions. Do you guys have any other follow-up questions that you wanted to pose to the group? No? Amazing. Well, we'll leave the podcast there then. Um, so again, this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Victoria, Sandra and Monica for joining us on this episode. And thank you to the listeners um, for listening as well. If you would like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at abbystokesevolution at evolution-nordics.com. See you next time.